I love you, okay? <laughs> I want to know what love is. Isn't that a great statement that's a question? doesn't have a question mark behind it. And you still, uh, you still get the essence of that. And of course, what the film clip does for us there is, in a very comedic way, shows a lot about life and a lot about people and a lot about this thing called love and what is it. Now, my... One of, one of the big things that I don't want to do today, because I'm going to be talking about this kind of in and out of this whole thing, is, is when we talk about love, is that it's somehow we just take it to the husband and wife. I will be alluding to that from time to time, but that's not just what we're talking about. We're talking about it in a different, uh, totally different way as well with others and so forth. So just keep that in mind as we uh, go through some of this. And the other thing I want you to think about is, uh, and uh, by the way, I'll have a, I'm going to give you a couple of stories in just a moment, and one from marriage and one from not marriage. So that, just to kind of reinforce that thought. Let me just give you some thoughts from some authors, thinkers, philosophers, and so forth about love as we begin. The first one comes from an American author, Beale, and uh, I kind of like it. Love thy neighbor as yourself, but choose your neighborhood. All right? Kind of a good thought, really, isn't it? <laughs> some of us... Some of us do that anyway, don't we? By we're not just literally neighborhood, that too, but in other ways. Um, some think a great theologian slash philosopher, Tillich, Paul Tillich, put it this way. This is good. The first duty of love is to listen. Ooh, I can see some wives kind of perked up on that one a little bit. And uh, certainly it applies there, but it applies with friends. Loved ones as well, kids, parents listening to kids, kids listening to parents. Um, French philosopher, put it this way, one forgives to the degree that one loves. I just threw that in to kind of give you the understanding that forgiveness goes along with love. It's almost synonymous. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors from England, and theologian as well, philosopher, writer. The way to love anything is to realize that it may be lost. How often uh, we may see that when we, particularly with some who've had sickness or illness or a brush with mortality, and you realize how much you love that person, and you hadn't thought about it that much beforehand. So um, it's another issue. And then the uh, English writer Fromm, Put it this way, and I like this. This is really good. Immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. Just think about that for a moment. I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. It's a nice twist. It's a nice thought, too. Obviously, we need to see what the Bible teaches there is probably no more eloquent of a passage in the Bible than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In just a moment, we'll go there, not yet. And uh, that is the same passage oftentimes that is read at weddings, and it's a good thing to be read at a wedding. My only concern with that, and I've done it at weddings, and will it again, we'll do so again. My only problem with having it, having it read at weddings is so many times people think that 1 Corinthians 13 is just referring to husbands and wives. Again, it refers to husbands and wives, but it also refers to you and the person sitting 
beside you that may not, you may not know. It may be the person who lives across the street from you, the person that works across the way from you in your desk or cubicle or office, uh, and as well as, you know, just make the application. Just keep going right, down the, right, right on down the line there. It's not just something for families in church. We talk about this whole thing of love. So let me just show you 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we do, I'm going to read through this very slowly and just kind of, kind of follow along with me. I'm again in the message translation. Um, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't, this is good. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others isn't always me first. Think on that a minute. Doesn't fly off the handle. Keep going. Doesn't keep keep score of the sins of others. Hmm. That's a good thing, isn't it? Um, Doesn't doesn't revel. Revel. Think about that. This This is an interesting phrase. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Basically, what he's saying there is it, it doesn't rejoice because someone's had a hard time, even if you don't like them. Um, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. That's an important phrase. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Always looks for the best. Classic illustration, of course, is the mother talking about a son. You know, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? I have talked to mothers whose sons or daughter, usually in this case son, was in jail, okay? And it wasn't a frame-up. I mean, it was legitimate. And talking to her, you would have thought this guy was teaching Sunday school next Sunday, you know? Now, why is that? She loves him. Now, there's some other issues here we may need to deal with, but she loves them, you know? And, and that's the issue. She looks for the best. Sometimes you do that with your friends, don't you? Other people say, why do you hang out with that guy? He's a jerk. Well, you don't really know him. I've done that. Why? Because I love him. I look for the best. That's what love does. So that's a powerful passage. That's one that we ought to have, you know, if you can can't do that too much anymore, but if you could, paste it to your refrigerator door. Um, let me just keep reading in, in a couple of other, just three other things in uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. We'll go there. And, but it also has to do with love. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Let me show you this one. Um, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love covers all offenses. And then in Proverbs 17, disregarding another person's faults preserves love. Telling about them separates close friends. So many times that's what we are about. So many times that's what the news is about. So many times that's what gossip is about. Telling about somebody else's did you hear what so-and-so did? And sometimes we sort of get a kick out of that. I don't think we should, but that's often the case. And you know, here's the thing. You know, what does that mean when he says disregarding another person's faults? Or if you go back up to 1 Peter, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Does that mean we just cover up 
people's wrongdoings and enable them? No, of course not. Does that mean people should never be confronted? No. How we confront is important. Um, here's what that means. Love keeps things in perspective. Okay? Um, while it's aware of the flaws and uh, failures of another, you choose to look beyond that to the core of the person, knowing that they're much more than that. That's what love does. doesn't deny, doesn't go into denial for another, but it looks to the core individual. How different would our world be if we did this? Just think about this. Just came through the election, and we can talk about this now with some freedom, and I'm not going to take sides. Tried not to before. Those of you who know me may know how I voted. Um, some of you may not, but uh, that's okay. Um, but just think about this. What would have happened? I, I, what would have happened, for instance, if these principles had been enacted during the debates? I mean, you can see it. No, I don't want to. You know. Here's Senator Kerry. Well, President Bush. Um, you know, you, 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 this, this whole WMD thing, weapons of mass destruction. My friend, you made a mistake. You, you, you acted on bad intelligence. That's okay. I understand. It can happen to any of us. <laughs> I love you, brother, and I, I understand. I mean, can you imagine what would have happened if it happened on TV? It, it's okay, but you made a mistake, and because you made a mistake, I maybe think people should vote for me, but we love you, and we, we, we forgive any mistake you might have made based on bad intelligence or whatever. And then President Bush could say, Senator Kerry, I love you, man, but you know, your voting record, you kind of vote here and you vote here and you vote here. And you know what? I love the fact that you, wanna, you won't get so stubborn that you'll stay stuck on an issue and you're, not afraid, and you're not afraid to change your mind when you look at the facts. And I love that about you, but I don't think you ought to be president because of that. But, I, but don't take it personal. Now, wouldn't that have been better than saying... Liar! No, liar! You know? <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the issue, isn't it? People, people do things, say things, and they say... And I've had this, I've had this I, I bet you, a thousand times in my life in ministry where somebody comes, she's lying to me, he's lying to me. And it may be marriage, it may be good friends, maybe somebody in a church situation, uh, any of those things. And then you, you get back, and finally I've said more than... Oh, gosh, so many times I've said, wait... Before I hear the facts, let me just tell you one thing. Maybe nobody's lying. Maybe somebody misunderstood. Maybe two people heard the same story and one of them interpreted it one way and another one interpreted Why does somebody have to be lying? Because see, what love does is say, I don't believe that person would lie to me, but that's not exactly what I thought was the facts. You see, and that's what these verses are talking about. All three of these passages are talking about. Love, love gives the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get to the bottom of the issue. You should. But you don't just jump to a conclusion, I hear a liar. I mean, that's, 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 that's crap. Uh, you, 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 don't, you, don't, you don't do that. So when you think about it, that's what Christ has done for me. I mean, of all the people on the earth, my wife being one, but even more than her is, is, is Christ, he knows my faults and he knows my failures. And he even knows thoughts that I wouldn't ever tell anyone else. And yet he says, I love you, man, in spite of that. And, and that's the issue, you know. That's what, that's what this whole thing of 1 Corinthians and, and, and Peter and Proverbs are telling us. That's what love really is. So I want to give, give you four qualities real quick. 
real simple. They're just based on these verses. I'll tell you two quick stories and uh, to get you to understand this, all right? Um, and the first one is very simple, and you probably already know this, but that's okay, you need to hear it again, and that is this. Love is unconditional. Love is unconditional. Back in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, It puts up with anything, and it trusts God always. My love for you is not based upon conditions. We get into some of the other issues on that. Um, the, the, the conditional side of this says, I love you as long as, we, as you treat me right. That's conditional. You say, well, I shouldn't put up with somebody who treats me wrong. No, there, there needs to be confrontation at times, but that doesn't mean you don't love them or you love them less. This is the type of thing that says, I love you as long as you love me back. Well, that's not what's done because you know what? I've had kids. You know what I'm going with this, don't you? <sighs> and sometimes those kids don't love you back too much. And sometimes those kids don't even like you very much. Does that mean you love them less? I'm glad God doesn't have that attitude toward me because I'll be, I'll be, I'll be real blunt. There have been times when I've said, God, you know, I've sh- I have almost shaken a fist at God. I said, why? At least I have in my heart. I haven't done that literally not understanding certain ways and things, the way God works and so forth. God never questioned, never, never wavered, and never has in His love for me. So it's not a matter of what somebody does back or whether they love you back or whether you get it back or, or even whether we agree. This is one thing I've seen so many times in, in churches. Oh, I love you. And then they disagree on some doctrine issue, which is just absolutely asinine, but it happens, sorry, but it's just crazy. People do that, and they start, they start disagreeing, and they question their love for one. You know what? One of the fun things I did this week was Monday night before the election, <clears throat> I went to my friend's house, okay? And my friend, you're not going to know, I'm not, I'm not saying voting for the wrong side is the side that won or lost. I'm just telling you the wrong side was, was m- not my side, okay? That's the wrong side, from my view, okay? I mean, that's fair, right? I'm not saying who won or lost here, but he was voting for the wrong side, and I knew that. So I went, we went, we were just having a nice dinner and everything, but I took an editorial with me from a particular newspaper that said, before you go vote tomorrow, I want you to read this and pray about your stinking vote, okay? And he, he was great because he took a, a red pen and he started reading through it, and he was just marking, just, I'm thinking, he's reading, he's watching, I'm going to change a vote here for the, for the right guy whoever the right guy is from my perspective. I'm going to change a vote here. And when I got through, you know, what he, you know what he had done? There was a picture of the candidate that this particular paper was in. He had drawn horns and everything all over this guy. That's what he was doing. You know, that's what he was doing. <laughs> I said, boy, that was helpful, man. That was really good, you know. I didn't know I was dealing with a 10-year-old. But, uh, um, <laughs> But you know what? As, as we, we really argued, and this is great. You know, you know that old saying, you don't argue religion and politics? I don't know whoever said that, but he had to be the most shallow individual in the face of the earth. I mean, why don't you want to talk about God and politics? That's pretty darn important. And if you can't talk about that and disagree on that, well, God help you, because you're about an inch deep, all right? Um, we, we argued politics pretty much for two hours over dinner, and it was great. It was terrific. And uh, it wasn't just 
a spirited discussion of debate. It was, it was hard, hard, hardcore, heartfelt opinions of disagreement. And when we left, I hugged my friend and I said, you know, man, I love you. I'm not like Raymond's dad. I can say it, you know. And he said, I love you too. Then I, never mind what happened the next day. <laughs> if I tell you what happened the next day and when the election, you'll know where, where I came from. But anyway, uh, one of us was gloating the next day. But um, I'll let you figure out who that was. But, um, but you know, love, love, love gets beyond that stuff, doesn't it? And that's the point here. It's unconditional. And you can have spirit. And, and this is true with friends, and this is true with husbands and wives. And I'll just tell you one thing, and I've said this before, and you'll hear me say it again. If two people agree on everything, only one of them's thinking. And, and that's an important issue. So to think we all have to agree on everything, whether we're in church or whether we're in political arena or whether we're in business or whatever, um, my thing is always what good position should not be challenged. And it's true. Love is unconditional. Love, second thing, is unmanipulative. You know I'm going to throw this in here. Love is unmanipulative. You remember that back, I read it earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't keep score, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. And it trusts God always. This manipulation is the classic aberration or perversion, as it were, of love between friends, between family, between others, sometimes even, oftentimes even in a church. It's the classic perversion of love. We manipulate one another. And some people think that's what love does, and that's what they do. And I want to make a a, a statement about that, and I I don't want you to miss it. Um, It's very clear. It's not love that connives continuously tries to figure out ways to get someone you love to do something that you want them to. You can appeal. You can seek to convince. You can pray for them. But when you cross over that line, and you know where that line is, when you cross over that line and start using guilt, intimidation, or threats, you're wrong. You're wrong socially, and you're wrong, more importantly, in God's eyes. When you cross over that line and start using guilt and intimidation and threats, it's awful. Love doesn't manipulate. It's a hard thing to accept, and it's hard for some people to really accomplish. But you know, that's why you don't keep score of wrongs and try to bring those up. Don't Keep track of what happened, you know, five years ago or ten years ago or even last month for that matter. Now, you don't, you, obviously, you, you, you're not stupid about this. That doesn't mean that if you went into business with somebody and they just screwed you out of a whole bunch of money that you love them and you forgive them. Yeah, you do. Does that mean you go back into business with them again? No. No. That's not, that's, but that's not necessarily love and forgiveness. And, and you, need, you can still forgive and you can still love and say, you know, I love you and because I love you, I think... It's best that we keep things like this and not do that again. Um, Love is unmanipulative. Love, third thing, is undemanding. This really goes along a lot with the second one, but I wanted just to say, give this third one for elucidation purposes. 
It's not demanding. Love, remember that passage we read it a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 13? Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't, doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. This sort of addresses the proverbial, if you love me, you would do this, whatever this happens to be. It begins with sometimes when, when people are teenagers and you hear a guy say, sometimes a woman, but usually a guy say, hey, if you love me, you will go this far sexually. And we all know that's not really love. But then, of course, that doesn't end there because we start using that later on in, in, in adult life in different ways. If you love me, you will do this. You will go to this thing. You will look like this or you will do whatever, whatever it is that I want you to do. Love is not demanding. You know, love doesn't do that. Doesn't, doesn't want its own way. Um, doesn't use past issues. Fourth thing, love is unselfish. This is just a great sort of a cover over the whole thing. Love is unselfish. Um, and here's the deal on that. Um, that passage in 1 Corinthians says, Love cares more for others than for self. Love isn't always me first. It's unselfish. It, 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 you know, the real deal about love is it's giving. It's not demanding. It's not manipulative. It's not, it's not conditional. It's, it's, it's giving. It's a giving type of thing. Um, it thinks of the other person first. is isn't concerned about my rights. It's secure. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be right. I don't have to win that argument. I don't have to win that discussion. I can let things, you know, I can let, let that go because I love you and I care about you and, and, and I can let God work within your heart according to His time and according to His way. And here's the key to the whole thing. You look at all that and you say, boy, that's pretty, that's pretty tough stuff there. Unconditional, unmanipulative, undemanding, unselfish. How do you do that? This is, this is tall, tall order. I'll tell you something. You can't do it. And I know you can't do it, number one, because of who I am, because I can't, and I've tried. But more important than that is because I know the word that is used here in the Greek. You've probably heard the word before. It's called agape. There's four different words for love in the Greek. Agape means it only comes from God. And that's the word that is used back in Peter that we read earlier. That is the word that is used throughout 1 Corinthians, agape love. It only comes from God, which tells me the only way I can do this the only way I can do this, because I'm a selfish, pathetic, petty individual, and I speak for all of us, okay? Just for the record, I love you, but I, I speak for all of us. We're all selfish, pathetic, petty individuals, and the only way we can love unconditionally and unmanipulate, un- unmanipulatively and, and uncondemning and, un- and unselfish is by God giving us the strength and the power through us. And that only comes through a relationship with God, through Jesus, who loved us and came and suffered and died and went to the grave and rose again to give us eternal life and abundant life and a life of love. That's why it's one of the things that I, I, I used to make fun. I don't make fun anymore because I, I really feel the, the thing that you hear so many times people talking about, oh, we're going to love, we're going to love, let's all love one another. And you hear this in, in political context. You hear this in, 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 as a 60s child in all kinds of different flower children concerts and so forth. You know, we, but, and it's a great concept. Love, love, love. That's a great concept. But, you know, you, you can't do that all the time unless 
you have God's power in you, and even then it's a challenge. And even then it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of concerted effort of just saying, God, help me to show love. Help me to reflect your love in this situation. Does that mean that I'm never taken advantage of? No, you'll be taken advantage of. Does that mean that I just roll over and take it? No. There are times when you stand and say, you know what, because I love you, I'm not going to let you do that. Because that's wrong. Because love is wanting, and mark this, love is wanting what is best for that individual. And we can't say in the name of love, I'm going to enable a person to do something that's wrong, whether it's abusive or whatever it happens to be. Because that's not love either. Let me tell you two stories. And in both examples, um, they are clearly, both men clearly stated in their lives, one still alive and one's dead, um, of their love for Christ and his love flowing through them. Um, And the first one comes from history. I read, as you know, a lot of history. I love reading history, and it's just... um, I've read a lot of Civil War stuff, and now I'm reading more and more Revolutionary War stuff because of where we live, and it's fascinating, some of the things that I'm reading. But from, from my Civil War reading, which I still do from time to time, there's an incredibly, incredible story, it's a true story, that happened in late March, no, I'm sorry, late spring, late uh, May, early June of 1865. The war's over, Civil War's over, April 9th. The treaty is signed at Appomattox between Lee and Grant. April 15th, President Lincoln. April 14th, President Lincoln is shot. April 15th, he dies. So this is after that. It's in Richmond, Virginia, at an Episcopal church. And several different historical documents um, document this. But as the uh, pastor was finishing with, with his homily... And it was time for communion in the Episcopal Church. They take communion every Sunday. And unlike how we have communion, which we do, by the way, on our second Sunday um, evening service, there they would, we don't do it, we pass out the, 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 the cup, but there they just would each would get out of the pew and come forward to the altar, which many churches still do it that way. Nothing wrong with that. And um, that's the way they did it. And as they were ready to offer communion, there was noticeably one elderly, battle-worn gray-haired man sitting in the pew, hadn't been there for four years, obviously, because of the war. And people just noticed him because of who he was, and people knew him in the community. But then something awkward happened. As the pastor called for communion, an incredible thing, a man came from what at that time an African-American gentleman who was come from what they had a section at that time, kind of back off in the church, which they called, excuse the term, they called it the Negro section. And um, that was the official name for it. When the pastor called for communion, he was the first person to jump up and walk up front. And people were just, just mortified. Because that didn't happen ever before in history in Richmond, Virginia. And nobody knew what to do. And the pastor was kind of awkward, and he, he was kind of, you know, messing around with the elements, trying to figure out what to say or do. Nobody did anything. And then one man, the old gray-haired, battle-worn veteran, stood up and walked up and knelt beside that man. And everybody knew that Robert E. Lee was the real deal. 
I mean, that's, that's love. That's leadership. That's love. Because, man, I'll, and, and it, changed, it changed the whole environment of that church culture. It would be several years, obviously, before many other churches would follow. But, man, when you think about that, you think, that's love. That's really putting it in, uh, putting it in a shoe leather, isn't it? Got one other story of a husband and wife. This guy's still alive. I would like to say he's a professor of mine. He really wasn't. He just wrote about three or four of the textbooks that I used in uh, theology and so forth. And when I first met him, I, I, it had been 25 years since I had been in school. And so I, 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 when I heard his name, Robertson McQuilkin, I thought, where do I know that name from? And it took me about an hour to oh. He wrote my Bible study methods book. He wrote homiletics. He wrote two or three other uh, textbooks that I had, that I had hermeneutics, some other things that he had written. He was a president of Columbia uh, Seminary in, in South Carolina. And um, I met him just a few years ago, actually. I've told a little bit about his story before, some of you, and, but I, I haven't told all of it because it's, it's an interesting thing. And I want to read a couple of uh, quotes that he, that he said because this is, um, this is a story between a husband and a wife. And this, this spoke to me as a husband but also as just a, a, a Christian, follower of Christ. Um, since he was 18 years old, get this, this is an amazing story. Since he was 18 years old, he wanted to be the president of a seminary, which is an amazing thing to me, that anybody at 18 would have that kind of, a, of an ambition. I think it's terrific. He became the president of Columbia Seminary, um, moderate seminary down, down in, uh, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. His wife one day was diagnosed uh, with a fast-moving brain disease. She soon lost her memory of their, of their life, their life together. Even worse, she lost her memory of Robertson, her husband, Robertson McQuilkin. He decided to resign his dream job. And the realist said, anyone can share... Here's what some people said to him. Anyone, anyone can care for your wife. She doesn't even know who you are. But not anyone can be the president of Columbia. He said, and then some other people said, you're walking away from the calling of God. His answers were this, and, and, and he told me these in person. and um, It means a lot to me, really, when I think about it. He said this, and he, I heard him say this in person and reading it. He said, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. And you're thinking, oh, jeez. And then he said this, there's only one thing, there's only one thing more important than a calling from God, and that is a promise, a covenant. I promise to be there till death do us part. Now think about that, guys. Uh, you're going to learn a little bit about me. Here's your wife. She can't return your affection. She can't cook for you. She can't go to the movie with you. She can't go to the plays with you. She can't hang with you. She can't watch football with you. She can't make love to you. You say, ooh, you got my attention now. Um, none of that. None of that. And that's how, that's how it hit me the first time I heard it and every time I think of his story. None of those things that are important to me could she do. And he said, but I love her. I love her. That's unconditional love. 
unmanipulative love, undemanding love. That's unselfish love. And it can only come through Christ who gives us that strength. Let's pray. God, this is some great stuff. And Father God, I pray that we would... Well, I pray for me first. Just that I'd be able to emulate this in my life. And I pray along with each person here that they would be able to emulate that in their lives. That each one, each one would take reflection in their own life and where they are and where they, where they should be and in their relationship with you and, and how that works into all of this. And for some of us, Lord, we're just going to say, God, help me. Help, help, me to, help me to be strengthened and deepened in this area. And some of us are, just, are, still, are still asking, and that's great. Help us to keep asking. But, Lord, we thank you most of all for your love and for the grace that you give us through Jesus. And we give you the thanks for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.